0: Well, it's the holiday season, and a lot of folks are shopping. And there was this man who was clueless about what to get his wife. The year before, he got her some dust rags, and that didn't go well. So he went to a high-end store, and he's standing there like a deer in the headlights. He has no clue. And so a woman comes, a woman at the counter says, sir, can I help you? He says, I got to get a gift from my wife, and I don't know where to start. And so the, man, so the woman says, we got some lovely perfume here. She took out this very nice bottle. Even before she could take the lid off it so he could get a whiff, he said, how much is this? And she told him the price, he shook his head. Well, she said, come with me over here. And he went to the jewelry counter, and there were some all kinds of lovely diamond earrings. I'm sure she would like that. As he pulled the case out, the man said once again, how much are these? She told him the price, and he shook his head. Then she said, well, how about a watch? She would probably like a watch. How much is this? Shook his head. She finally said, well, we got some lovely pajamas over here. Maybe your wife would like some pajamas. How much? And she told the price. shook his head. He finally says, do you have anything cheap in this store? And she held up a mirror. (laughs) Now, for any of you husbands who just got elbowed in the side, there are no fouls in church, so just understand that. You know, when we think about this idea, there are a series of words or contrasts we find. We think about the word rich, the opposite of the word poor. We think about the word generous, the opposite is cheap. We think about the word valuable, the opposite is worthless. This morning as we again kind of wrap up this year and we think about the ending of this year, we think about our theme to finish what was started, we want to spend some time talking about the worthwhile endeavor, our labor in the Lord, I will be a worker for the Lord as we just was led and singing about these things and to see how important these things are as we get this concept. You know, the story is told of a man who found this painting at a garage sale. He was certain it was worth thousands and thousands of dollars. He took it to an appraiser, and he found out that it was simply worthless. Throughout our Bible, that word worthless is used several different occasions. In the book of Deuteronomy, it says, Some worthless men have gone out from among you, seduced the inhabitants of the city, saying, Let us go and serve other gods. In the book of Judges, we read about Abimelech, one of the kings there, one of the judges. And they gave him 70 pieces of silver from the house of Baal-Bareth, with which Abimelech hired worthless and reckless fellows, and they followed him. The sons of Samuel, or excuse me, sons of Eli, were known as worthless men. In the book of Proverbs, two places, it talks about a worthless person. A worthless person is a wicked man, or a wicked man is the one who walks in the perverse of his mouth. A worthless man digs up evil, chapter 16 says, while his words are like scorching fire. We think about the parable of the talents, the one talent man. Throw out the worthless slave, the Lord said. The apostle said in the book of 1 Corinthians, if Jesus has not been raised... Your faith is worthless. If you've got your Bible, turn with us to the book of James, James chapter 1. And We want to walk through a section of the book of James today, and where James uses this word worthless. We want to look at it, and then we want to flip it the other side and talk about this worthwhile endeavor in which we are in. We're so happy to have each of you with us, a lot of guests this morning. Thank you for being with us. Some of our college kids are working their way back, another semester off the charts, and that's just a... A wonderful, wonderful thing, and we're glad you could be with us. James chapter 1, we're going to begin at verse 16. I'm going to read the first part of verse 16 and point out two other times this word is found here, and then we'll go back and catch up the reading. But James 1, verse 16 says, Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. And when we jump ahead to the end of verse 22, he's going to talk about do not be deluded. And then when we get to the middle part of verse 26, he talks about the man who does not bridle his tongue deceives himself. So James is setting forth this idea: don't, don't be fooled. Don't understand. You need to understand what is proper. Now let's read this section one now again. James chapter 1, begins verse 16. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. Every good thing bestowed and every perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shifting shadow. Verse 18, in the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, so that we might, as it were, be the first fruits among his creatures. Verse 19 says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but let everyone be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of a man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Therefore put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. In humility receive the word implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in the mirror. For once he's looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was." But the one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer but a factual doer, this man shall be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks himself to be religious and does not bridle his tongue but deceives his own heart, this man's religion is worthless. This is pure and undefiled religion, the sight of our God and Father, to visit orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained by the world. And right there at the very end of James chapter 1, he uses this little expression here that this man's religion is worthless. A worthless religion. A worthless religion is not going to get you to heaven. And a worthless religion is not going to give you the hope. And the comfort that you're expecting. And a worthless religion is not going to please the God of heaven. And so as James talks about this, let's first of all go down this road and talk about what do we mean by a worthless religion. And then we're going to flip it and talk about the worthwhile religion. And there's two ways in which religion can be worthless. Or junk, we might say. I mean, you look at that picture on the wall there, and if you walked into someone's room like that, you'd say, get rid of this junk. Worthless. That's an idea. And the first way it can be worthless is when it's not true. It's false. It's fake. It's not accurate to what God says about these things. Now, right here, listen to me very carefully. You see, it's not based upon how it makes you feel. Oh, I love how my church makes me feel. It makes me feel happy. That doesn't mean it's right. That doesn't mean it follows God's word. The basis of right and wrong is not how I feel about it, nor the good it accomplishes. It does so much wonderful things in a community. It just is a great place. The value and determining factor is, does it please the Lord? That's first and foremost. In the book of Psalms, in chapter 19, at verse 7 and verse 8, where the psalmist here was talking about the word of God. He says, The law of the Lord is perfect, restoring the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise and simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. What makes something Right not how I feel about it, not what I get out of it, not what it does, whether it pleases the word of God, whether it follows what God says in this. Timothy would be told in 2 Timothy 2 verse 15 to handle accurately the word of truth. And I think the classic example of this is what we read about in our Old Testament about idolatry. Here in Jeremiah's account, it says this, For the customs of this people are delusion. Because it is wood cut from the forest. The work of hands of a craftsman, while cutting with a cutting tool. They decorate it with silver and with gold, they fasten it with nails and with hammers, so will not totter. Like a scarecrow in a cucumber field are they. And they cannot speak, they must be carried about because they cannot walk. Do not fear them, for they can do no harm, nor can they do any good. There is none like you, O Lord, you are great, and great is your name in your might. What he's telling us here is that they are lifeless, they are useless, and they are worthless. Now Isaiah says this as he talks about that tree being cut down. He says, when it becomes something for a man to burn, so he takes one of them, talks about a log, warms himself. He also makes a fire to bake bread, and he makes a god and worships it. He makes a graven image and falls down before it. Half of it he burns in a fire. Over this half, he eats his meat as he roasts a roast and is satisfied. He also warms himself and says, ah, oh, I am warm. I have seen the fire. But the rest of the log, or the rest of it, he makes into a god, his graven image. He falls down before it and worships, so he prays to it and says, deliver me, for you are my god. Do you get that picture? Here's this log. I cut it in half. Half of it I put in my fireplace, and I burn that log up. The other half, I take it to a craftsman. He puts some face on it, and I says, you're my God. Now, where's his brother at? Well, I put him in the fire and burned it. This thing's useless. And if I want to move it, it can't move. I've got to pick it up and carry it. I can talk to it, but it's not going to hear me. It's not going to say anything to me. I can pray to it. So when James says, a worthless religion. Some are worthless simply because they're not following the word of God. Idolatry is an example of that. But a second way religion can become worthless, and this is what James is driving at, is when it does not change you. Here it's not the fault of the religion. Here it's the fault of the people. The people have not applied themselves to this. Now notice again these, these words in James chapter 1. It says, here is a man who does not bridle his tongue. His religion has not changed the way he talks. So you go to church every Sunday, and you bow your head, you sing these hymns, you read this book of what we call the Bible, but Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, the rest of the week, you talk and act like everyone else. Your religion, he says, is worthless. It's not the religion fault. It's because you have not changed. He talks about the idea of the orphans here and their distress. Here's a man who does not treat people the way the way you all treat them. He simply ignores them. Rather than doing good, he does not do good. And then when we think about the very end of this verse, here's a man who does not change the way he walks with the Lord. He is unstained by the world. And so James is saying this is a worthless religion. And before we go on, I just got to, Hit the brakes just a moment. I've got to wonder, could that be me? Could that be you? We come together on Sunday. We see each other. We're so happy to be gathered together. We hear God's word preached. We bow and talk to God. We, we assemble with the hopes of God being among us. But does that have any impact on my life? Am I any better to God? Am I any closer to God? Am I walking with God? And that's what James is bringing out here. And so what we want to do now as we think about that worthless religion is to flip it. And let's talk about what is worthwhile. The idea of living differently in the world, the idea of not being blended and molded by culture, The idea that I'm going to stand for Jesus and do what God wants me to do. The idea that I don't pay attention to what everyone else says, I pay attention to what God says. In your Bible, if you will, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. And Jesus described it this way in a series of parables about the kingdom. Matthew chapter 13 and in verse 45, he gives a story about a man who found a treasure. And he says in verse 45... Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant seeking fine pearls upon finding one pearl of great value. He went and sold all that he had and bought it. The worthwhile endeavor is it, it, what do I get out of this? I come to church Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. I try to do what's right. I try to make the right choices. I try to follow God. Where does it get me at the end? is it worth it now the book of malachi if you turn there with me malachi chapter 3 thats what we're looking at on wednesday nights in the auditorium but in malachi chapter 3 malachi would say this in verse 45 again asking this very question excuse me malachi 3 and verse 16 malachi 3 verse we'll go back to verse 14 to get to the beginning here you have said it is vain to serve god And what profit is it that we've kept his charge and that we have walked in mourning before the Lord of hosts? What's the purpose? That's That's what the people are saying. What's the purpose of going to church? I could be in bed right now sleeping and sleeping well. But I got up. I put on clothes. I shaved. Here I am. What do I get out of it? Do I just check a little box? Been to church this week. Done my duty. What's the purpose of reading this book every single day? What's the value of praying before I eat? What is it worth? James shows us the worthless religion. What does the worthwhile religion look like? So let's now talk about this and look at some things back to James chapter 1. We begin, first of all, by recognizing all of this begins with a proper view of God. James chapter 1 now, let's go back and look at verse 17 and verse 18. James chapter 1, verse 17 and verse 18. Here he says, Every good thing bestowed in every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variance or shifting shadow. In the exercise of his will, he brought us forth by the word of truth that we might be, as it were, the first fruits among his creatures." When we think about what's worthwhile, we put God before all things. It's not what I got. It's not what I get. It's not all the wonderful things he does. First and foremost, the goodness of God. Our God is an amazing God. That's more than the hymn. That's a reality we see in our Bibles. In Luke chapter 15, remember that prodigal. When he's away from home, living in the far country, and thinking he had the time of his life, he ran out of money, he came upon a famine, and he was in desperate need. And in Luke chapter 15, and verse 18, verse 19, the Bible says, I will get up and go to my father and will say to him, Father, I sinned against heaven and in your side. Why did he say that? Because in verse 17, it says, How many my father's hired men have more than enough bread, but I'm dying here with hunger. He understood the nature of his father. My Father is like this. We also see as we go to James chapter 1, it stands squarely upon the Word of God. And here in James 1, James makes this contrast between removing things and receiving things. Let's read verse 21, verse 22. Therefore, put aside all filthiness and all that remains of wickedness. Put them aside, he says. All that is filthy, filthy thoughts, filthy attitudes, Filthy behaviors, all that is filthy and all that remains of wickedness and humility, receive the word of God implanted, which is able to save your souls. But prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. So again, the value of our religion, the worthwhile endeavor is we are practicing what we read. We see this. That golden rule, treat others not how they treated you, but how you wish they treated you. Now, they may never treat you that way, but this is why I want to treat them. Forgive them. Turn the cheek. Love your enemies. All the great principles by our Jesus Are laid out before us. And so, what we see here as we think about this worthwhile endeavor, it's based solely upon the Word of God here. And then it brings a closer change to us on the inside and the outside. Verse 19 and 20, from what we've been reading, he says, This you know, my beloved brethren, let every man be quick to hear. Let's stop there for a moment. We have problems with that, don't we? Somebody starts talking. And even before they finish the sentence, we're already thinking of a reply. And we don't even have to hear the rest of the answer because here's, here's how I'm going to answer you back. And Mike over here is talking to me about stuff, and I'm going to just say, Mike, you know, and, and I don't even listen anymore, he says. And because I am quick to respond. The Bible says be quick to hear. Let me hear your story. Let me hear your problems. Let me hear your life. Be quick to hear, he says, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Changing you on the inside, changing you on the outside. And that comes about, once again, as we think about this behavior that we have. Now to the book of Romans, if you will. Romans chapter 12. Romans chapter 12, then back to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 12. He says in verse 2, do not be conformed to this world. Don't be like everyone else. Don't be average American. Don't do what everyone else does. Don't get all those statistics out there and say, well, you know what? The typical person who's this age in America does this. They watch TV this many hours a week. They do this. so Don't do that. Why? Because you're not being conformed to the world. You don't care about the average American. You want to be a disciple of Jesus. And so as Romans 12 says, he says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. You're striving to do what God wants you to do. In the 8th chapter of the book of Romans, look in verse 29, Romans chapter 8. And verse 29, he says, For whom he foreknew, he also be, be predestined to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Don't be conformed to the world, but be conformed to Jesus. Be like Jesus. And so, once again, this is the idea we're seeing, seeing being brought out over and over. The worthwhile endeavor seeks to please Jesus and to do the things of God. And so it is a faith that will get you through the storms of life because it's real. God never promises you it's going to always be sunny in your life. He never says that. You look at his people. Our study Sunday morning about the heroes of Hebrews chapter 11. They all face adversity and challenges and difficulties. And God never says, if you're following me, every time you want something, here it is. Every time you need something, here it is. Sometimes there are storms you travel through. Sometimes there are the dark valleys of the shadow of death, but God is with you. It's that faith that will get you through the storms. It's that faith that will comfort you, comfort you when you don't have answers, Comfort you when people are out of words. It will comfort you. It's that worthwhile faith that will give you the power to raise your family godly in this ungodly world. How can I do this? You're doing this because of God. It's that worthwhile faith that will honor the Lord because as Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, we make it our ambition to please the Lord. And it's that worthwhile faith that will take you home to God. Now let me mention something to moms and dads. There are times you just want to hold, back, hold up that sign and say, help. There are times you come to our assembly, and it's look like in, you're backpacking across Europe. You've got so many bags. You've got so much stuff. And, and, and when architects came and looked at our building, they said 18 inches per person. Well, that didn't count moms and dads. They need about five pews just to get all the stuff. And sometimes you spend more time in that cry room than you do in this room. And the hushing and the quieting and trying to get everything. You sometimes wonder, is it even worth coming? And I know a lot of times parents wonder that. And there are days when you just want to get this sign here. This is an old fashion sign, but you just want to put them up for sale. <laughs> you, just, you know, I just can't deal with this. But the reality is you are setting forth an example you're doing what god wants you to do and those little ones when they say their prayers they're praying for birds and dandelions and worms and all kinds of stuff and you think am i doing anything right and the truth matter is you are you are because you're setting before them an example of following god in this congregation we do not have a children's church we don't usher all the kids out to another room where they play games we want them to see what the worship of God is all about. In Genesis chapter 22, when Abraham was to offer Isaac, they got to the location, they had to fire, they built the altar, and Isaac said, where is the sacrifice? He understood you have to have a lamb. Where did he understand that? He saw dad. He saw dad worshiping before. And so when we think about what we're doing, don't give up. Don't give up as a parent, as tired as you may be. Some of you, when you leave Sunday morning, it looks like you've been to war, and we understand that. Most of us have been there before, and we understand that. But you're laying forth an example and teaching them and showing them the reverence of God. And for all of us, why do we keep doing this? It's because we know where this journey ends. It doesn't end at the cemetery. It doesn't end with the last page of our story being said, the end. It ends in the presence of God. And that's what we see. I love the story of this man who was deaf. And every Sunday he went to worship services. They had no sign person to sign for him. He couldn't sing the songs because he didn't know where they were in the song. He couldn't hear the sermon because he was deaf. But every single Sunday he went. And one day somebody asked him, why do you go? And they wrote that out because he couldn't hear it. Why do you go? And he says, I can't hear a thing, but I want my neighbors to know whose side I'm on. Whose side am I on? Some of you have assembled, and cancer is running through your body right now. Why do you come? Because I know whose side I'm on. Some of you assemble and you've got all kinds of hardship going on in your family. Why do I assemble? Because I know whose side I'm on. Some of you come and you come by yourself because the rest of your family want nothing to do with this. Why do you come? I come because I know whose side I'm on. And I know where this journey ends. The journey ends in the presence of God. Friends may mock you. You don't have to go to church that often. They may say, why do you go Sunday morning Sunday night? Are you that bad? No, he's that good. That's why I go. You don't have to do all these things. I do it because my Lord wants me to. And when the world says, you can step one foot in the world and one step in God, he loves everybody. Grace covers everything. It's not what the book says. The book says my heart needs to be right with him. The book says I need to be totally committed to him. I need to be all in with Jesus. And so as we're about to put an end to this year and we think about finish what was started, how important that is. I went to a funeral Thursday to one of my heroes, Paul Earnhardt. Paul has helped me so much through the years. He would never know it, but he did. There were probably more preachers assembled there than I'd seen in any other place in my life. They came from states and states away. And the reason is, number one, that man could preach. He could preach Jesus. I love the story that one person said during his, during his funeral. He said, two preachers went to hear Paul Earnhardt preach. And when they left, one guy said, well, if that's what they call preaching, what do they say what we do? Because he could really bring Jesus before your eyes. But the second thing that every tribute has said was that he was humble. It was never about him. He made every single person feel like you were his best friend. At 92 years old, he passed away. Journey ended here. And we could say this morning, well, what did he get from it? There was no TV reporters out front. There's not going to be any plaque on any wall about that stuff. What did he got? It was he stands in the presence of God. And that's what you and I want. And so we encourage you to keep on. That's the idea, just keep on. When you're tired, keep on. When you don't feel good, keep on. When everyone around you is quitting, you keep on. And the reason is, it is a worthwhile endeavor. What we're doing is not a waste of time. It's not worthless. It's honoring Jesus, who we love so well. We can be of any help to you. If you've never been baptized, this is the day to do it. Won't you come as we stand, as we sing?